0: Hello, my name is Ann Bossen. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Iowa College of Nursing and my interest in research is in looking at non-pharmacologic interventions for persons with dementia. Today I'm going to talk to you about interventions that are nature-based. I need to first reassure you that I have nothing to disclose and I have no financial relationships with companies or products that will be discussed today. To begin with, I think it's helpful to have an understanding of exactly what I'm talking about in terms of nature-based interventions. When I looked at researchers, this became the most apparent uh, definition to me that sounded relevant, and that is, nature-based activities and interventions have to do with elements of the earth that are living and animate such as plants and animals, geographic such as land, sea, air, and sky, or solar and climactic such as rain, sun, stars, wind, and snow. Nature-based interventions can occur indoors or outdoors since it involves sensory stimulation from interactive participation with natural elements. When we look at the naturally restorative environment, which is how I'll refer to nature-based interventions, we look at things that stimulate one or more senses. As you see the pond in the picture, it stimulates not only our sense of imagination, but our sense of sight, probably our sense of smell, our sense of touch or feeling. So there are many different aspects here that are stimulated. The objectives that I'll cover today are that I will look at the evidence about nature's impact on human beings, including what it has to do with quality of life and attention capacity. We'll take a look at the empirical evidence that supports the use of the naturally restorative environment with people with dementia, how it's used in different settings, how to envision Uh, attaining an improved quality of life, considering the limitations that are secondary to dementia. First of all, I like to start this out because this is something that's so innate for us, In having you look at this picture and take a moment to take a deep breath and envision yourself as the person standing by this waterfall. Think of the ways that nature plays in causing you relaxation or renewal, rejuvenation. Think about this waterfall. Close your eyes and see if you can hear the rushing, roaring sound of the water and that that you can feel the droplets of water and the spray on your face and your hands. You can actually feel the power coming from where your feet are standing. It's an awesome feeling. Shrug your shoulders and let yourself be absorbed by and feel that power and what it does to your spirit and and to your senses. McEwen, who is a famous neuroscientist, says that the mind involves the whole body in a two-way communication between the brain, the cardiovascular, the immune, and other systems via neural and endocrine mechanisms. Stress is a condition of the mind-body interaction and a factor in the expression of many diseases that differ among individuals. We know that stress is a common mediator in many disease processes and certainly in that of dementia. When we look at the naturally restorative environment and interventions surrounding that, we think of things such as aromatherapy or massage with essential oils. It involves bright light therapy. It could involve horticulture therapy that is some type of interaction with plants indoors or outdoors. It involves pet therapy. It involves the auditory stimulation of nature sounds, such as in an instant where someone with dementia is confined to bed most of the day and no longer has the capacity to engage in interactions. Playing nature sounds such as river running or gentle ocean waves or gentle rainstorms can often, has been shown, to actually decrease verbal agitation in those patients. But nature-based interventions can also include physical activities like green care farms or wheelchair biking. Green care farms is a concept that was developed in Europe and actually involves having people in daycares or in long-term care settings actually assist with the workings of actual farms, whether it's in animal care, plant care, such as you see this gentleman below in his wheelchair and is quite an innovative new form of therapy. So if we look at the theoretical background of why these interventions work and what the basis for them are, I think the first theory that comes to mind is that of one developed by Edward O. Wilson, who is a biologist from Harvard. It was actually first coined by Fromm, but really was more developed by Wilson, where he says that human beings have an innate connection to other natural systems. We have this biologically-based attraction for nature and life that actually humans have evolved to focus on and respond more positively to nature and that evokes physical, psychological, and emotional processes. This can engender therapeutic effects on people, such as stress recovery and restoration. So, when I put this into life situations, I found this man in Australia, out on his bike, engaged in conversation with him, and he's in his 90s, and rides his bike every day along the shores of the ocean. In talking with him, it was very obvious that he has some cognitive impairments, but he did relate to me that this is what his life is about, and he absolutely is a vital and high-functioning person with dementia, but gains a lot of his strength and quality of life from participating in outdoor activities. Other expressions of biophilia is that it's crucial for our physical and mental well-being. It provides a source of understanding, communicating, and thought, bonding, companionship, mastery and control, moral and spiritual connection, recognition of a purposeful existence, and provides a potential for satisfaction in life and a sense of security. It's our sense of being connected with not only the world we live in, but the people surrounding us. Another theory that pertains to the therapeutic effects of nature and and the human responses to nature is one developed by Kaplan and Kaplan called Attention Restoration Therapy. This again has to do with any elements of the naturally restorative environment and it has to do with human effectiveness and functioning that's supported with contact with nature. The interaction supports things like problem solving, performance, learning, physical and mental health, as well as healing, family functioning, social functioning, and civility. The basis of attention restoration therapy is seated in the idea that Insufficient attentional resources are often an antecedent to stress. When we have insufficient attention capacity, we tend to make mistakes. We tend to have difficulties with our cognitive skills in dealing with what we face and what we are dealing with. Through the interaction with nature, the relaxation components of nature provide us with stress reduction. It improves our attention capacity. It allows us to be more cognitively functional in terms of dealing with the things that are at hand. The modes of action of attention restoration therapy can occur in physical activities, visual activities, or merely exposure to outdoor elements and environments, or in social interactions that occur in an outdoor environment. The research that supports the idea of attention restoration comes from studies that deal with several different cohorts. One cohort group, studied by Hartig and Kaplan, looked at college students. The two groups involved students that had an upcoming test. One group they had take a walk in an urban environment filled with streets and cars and, and noises that coincide with being in a a city environment. The other group of students were told to walk in the woods and have time in nature prior to taking the test. The cognitive task performance tests on these students showed that those that were in the natural environment outperformed the students that were in the urban environment by a great deal when it came to um, test scoring. Another set of researchers, Simprich and Ronus, demonstrated the importance of restoration of attention in women newly diagnosed with breast cancer compared to women in a control group of having routine mammograms. The intervention group showed high levels of attentional fatigue that was sustained over time, which the authors demonstrated interfered with their abilities to learn self-care, decision-making, adherence to complex treatment schedules and potentially cause unrelieved psychological distress. Women were asked to participate in some form of attention restoration therapy for 120 minutes weekly and keep tabs on how they were doing. These women showed a much better ability to deal with their illnesses. Kaplan and Kaplan researched this to find out what exactly was it about natural settings that enabled this attention restoration. They came up with four different concepts that they felt were critical to the naturally restorative environment and those that natural settings were liberally endowed with. The first was fascination. So think of ferns. It's something that contains patterns that holds your attention effortlessly. So it's looking at perhaps the pattern of the leaves in the trees or the circles emitting from a stone thrown in a pond. It really engages us to think and ponder and kind of creates a fascination with what's going on. The next concept was that of being away. So it's the idea that the setting is either distinctly different physically or conceptually from our everyday environment. For example, think about being in an arboretum, obviously not something we all have in our homes, so it's something that really takes us away and gives us the ability to feel like we're not in our everyday environment. The concept of extent is the environment's ability to engage our mind, to take us away, and to lead us into an engagement of our mind, a a different form of stimulation. Think of the waterfall again. It engages our mind. It engages our whole body. And the fourth concept, then, is compatibility. And that's the degree to which the setting fits with and supports our own preferences or purposes. For instance, I prefer water settings. I love the ocean and the beach and the rivers and lakes. Uh, settings like that tend to immediately cause me to feel relaxed. Other people may enjoy thunderstorms. Um, others may not like thunderstorms and be frightened of them, which would be biophobia. So it, it's that ability of the environment to create a relaxing or supportive environment for us as individuals. When we think of attention restoration therapy or nature-based interventions, we look at these things being as authentic as possible and stimulate as many senses as possible. Obviously, in looking at people with dementia, we need to be creative with how that looks. Um, Perhaps we can't take people outside because of inclement weather or because of physical difficulties. So, we can use audio tapes or videotapes. I think what supports this is a study by Kolonowski and colleagues that found that programs that were compatible with cognitive and functional abilities reduce disturbing behaviors. So, in other words, we need to ensure that what we're providing as an environment or as a stimulation is compatible with that individual person. So when we look at different ways to engage nature, we can engage nature passively through any sense, through listening to nature, through feeling sunshine or gentle breezes, or feeling the waterfall in our body. We can use it through smelling fresh things like peonies or aromatherapy. We can touch water or sand or pet animals, or we can merely watch snow falling or watch the breeze in the trees, and that can create one way to engage with nature. Actively engaging in nature can involve things like horticulture therapy and gardening, animal-assisted therapy through walking pets or caring for rabbits. It can involve walking along, the beach or through the woods. Nature crafts are a way to engage people actively with with natural environments, taking picnics outside or merely performing chair exercises in outdoors or in a sun porch if people live in a nursing home that has that kind of facility. So we need to look at quality of life in people with dementia. There's no real clear evidence that People with lower cognitive levels and low activity levels are associated with lesser quality of life. This is especially true in self-reported surveys. Important indicators from nursing home residents regarding quality of life include that they want to be treated with respect, opportunities for self-actualization, a sense of identity, and involvement in relationships are important characteristics of quality of life. Perception of quality of life is also a dynamic process and it's relative to who is providing the perception. In other words, we have a gap between caregivers identifying quality of life levels and people with dementia and what they identify as quality of life. There's a gap between those expectations and experiences. Banerjee and colleagues showed a positive association between the levels of cognition with increased quality of life, and this is significant as efforts to improve cognition may also improve quality of life. We know that BPSD, or Behavioral, Psychological, and Social Symptoms of Dementia, oftenly called uh, disruptive behaviors or uh, many other acronyms for that, are one of the leading cause of premature institutionalization. They increase financial costs, they decrease quality of life for both the caregiver and the patient, they cause a lot of caregiver burden and stress, they cause a lot of stress to nursing staff in residential facilities, and they can also create an excess disability, um, which is people with dementia that express a lowered level than they actually have because of the disruptive symptoms. Once the symptoms are ameliorated, their functional level can improve and that reduces patient and caregiver distress and improves quality of life. Nature-based interventions have been positively associated with a decrease in disruptive behaviors. We also know that disruptive behaviors are usually increased upon admission. That change in environment disrupts people's routines and causes more more disruptive behaviors. We also see sleep disruption with um, institutionalization. We see a tremendous decrease in access to outdoor spaces, and we see increase in dependence for doing uh, um, activities of daily living and in simple things like decision making. Nature-based activities can have an impact on all of these things. When we look at qualitative studies that deal with the natural environment, We've found that people consider the natural environment as very important. They report that it enhances their quality of life and their sense of well-being. They find it a source of happiness and joy. They see increased socialization and, and an increased feeling of normalcy. It improves their attitude. It provides them something to talk about. It reduces their stress and relaxation and it provides them an opportunity for exercise and fresh air, which they consider very important in their lives. When we look at psychological benefits, we see stress reduction, improved satisfaction with life, increased sense of well-being, and physiologic benefits, we see enhanced physical health and functioning, improved mental functioning and attention and memory. More qualitative studies demonstrate that they value the outdoors for the feelings of independence that it gives them. They have a better self-rated health, and they say they think clearer. It provides a source of identity, of social inclusion, a sense of dignity and freedom. But conversely, not going out is associated with depression. It makes them feel as if their world is shrinking. Caregivers cited that the dementia was associated with their decrease in frequency of going out, that they were limited anymore on where they could go and what they could do. Other caregivers also had fear associated in allowing their person with dementia to go outside because they were afraid that they would get lost. People with dementia reported other positive things in working and being allowed to be outdoors. They saw that it improved their appetite, it improved their sleep, and it improved their sense of autonomy and self-esteem. When we look at human effectiveness and functioning, we see that it's supported by contact with nature. It improves things like problem solving, performance, learning, physical and mental health, healing, family functioning, social functioning, and civility. In studies done using attention restoration therapy we saw decreases in violence in urban situations if people were allowed to have gardens. That improved the the physical functioning and civility. It improved Things like uh, mental health for those people that were in mental health settings, especially geropsych settings when they were allowed to have interactions with the natural environment. Decreased autonomic arousal, which leads to stress recovery and improved affective states, was shown in studies by Roger Ulrich in his seminal study that involved Patients with gastrointestinal surveys in hospitals showed improved healing rates, decreased frequency and dosage of high-level narcotics for pain management, and people enjoyed and tended to feel better about their stay in the hospital. It showed decrease in blood pressure ratings and in heart rate. Nearby natural settings support management of mental and en- energy and overall psychological well-being better than urban settings. In every walk with nature, one receives more than he seeks. That was a line in a poem by John Muir, the noted naturalist. When we look at our everyday environment, when we look at the things that The culture that surrounds us when we look at the things that we seek to provide us with solace, with restoration, with stress relief. We see in poetry, in songs, in photography, in our choices of vacation sites, things that have to do with nature. Water is highly preferred. I'm going to switch a little bit now. I think I've provided a pretty good background on looking at the research that's been involved in demonstrating the effectiveness of nature based interventions. And I'm going to focus now on looking at why it's important and how it's important in the care of those with dementia that are institutionalized. Recently, there was a change in the minimum data set to the 3.0, and it tells us that we need to reach to maintain the highest practicable level of physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being for each individual. We need to provide social activities and medical care related to social services that include dietary, physician, emergency service, pharmacy, dental, and rehabilitative services. We look at these directives that tell us we need to provide individualized plans of care that focus on quality of life as well as spiritual, physical, and psychological needs. These need to be provided and formulated by a care team that includes the nurse, the MDS nurse, social workers, other therapists such as OT, PT, and recreation therapy, and sometimes CNAs. But what we see is that rarely do our individualized plans of care really take the individual in mind, rarely take the spiritual and the psychological aspects of the individual in mind. When we look at the literature review for non-pharmacologic protocols, we find that they're very effective in treating disturbing behaviors. We also know that antipsychotics now have a black box, warning, and we should not be using those, especially as a first line of treatment. Despite living in group situations in most nursing homes and assisted living residents, research by McCormick and Whitehead demonstrate that individuals report feeling alone and socially isolated, and we see from Cohen Mansfield's research that social interaction reduces verbally disruptive behaviors we see that by reducing these disruptive behaviors and apathy and depressive behaviors that we improve feelings of well-being, we improve communication skills, we decrease anxiety and depression, and we offer opportunities to express emotions which therefore improves cognition. So common misperceptions that have to do with attention restoration therapy or nature-based interventions are that nature-related activities are recreational and not therapeutic. We view them as an adjunct or, you know, just something to do and not something that really is providing a beneficial effect cognitively, socially, psychologically, and spiritually for residents. We also look at nature-related activities as being the domain of the activities staff. We don't see it as part of the rest of the team's role, which is a fallacy because we need to look and research has shown that total milieu therapy is a very important component of providing the highest level of care for people with dementia. So what these misperceptions do is devalue the restorative value of a nature-based intervention and places this activity as non-essential and below to something um, equivalent with entertaining activities and lacking in importance, and the first things to be cut out. So if we look at developing programs in a long-term care setting, we want to look at developing comprehensive treatment approach for frail elders, and look at their needs, their level of dementia, and we want to match those to their capabilities. And when this is done, we have much better Outcomes than when we just use traditional activities. Studies by Gigliotti and Jarrett have looked at different types of horticulture therapy and shown that people of any stage of dementia, and I would argue that even at the very late stage, people can participate in gardening activities. I think the very late stage is where we need to include Uh, activities that are more based in aromatherapy and auditory stimulation than in physical involvement in nature-based activities. So program development really begins with careful individual assessment of function and physical and cognitive levels as well as what are past leisure activities. What are the things that people like to do and that they've done in the past? Now, just because they've done it in the past doesn't mean they'll enjoy it in the future, and just because they haven't done it in the past doesn't mean they won't enjoy it at this stage. So developing programs that have an active component, such as exercise program, research in this area has shown improved strength, flexibility, endurance, decreased falls, and fears of falls, Improved gait and balance. Additional positive effects of these physical active involvement in programs have shown positive effects of improved morale, improved locus of control, social integration, mastery of self or self-efficacy, as well as other physiologic substrates. Other considerations in developing programming are things that can often be in opposition to traditional long-term care facilities where success is judged by the number in the room, the social participation, the length of stay, and really we need to take a look at providing optimal environments for individuals and individual effectiveness rather than group effectiveness. We need to use smaller groups with prescribed activities that are really tailored to individuals within that group. An example of current uses of nature-based therapy are eating and having barbecues outside doing exercises outside, having private parties, doing communal gardening, doing individual gardening, participating in some form of sports activity. You'll see the gentleman below. He was in a nursing home in Norway that I visited, and he used to be an Olympic shot putter. What you see here is him picking up a rock and going through the motions and practicing his sport. He was believing that he was still in training, which is a fantastic way to gain a sense of mastery and support and physical activity, and he was hurting no one. It was a delightful time for him. So we look at uh, other things going on like concerts, uh, school children coming in and singing, or musical instrumental groups coming in and, and putting on a show for nursing home residents. I'm curious about this one, reality orientation. Maybe just they uh, go outside and talk about seasons and uh, geographic and geologic things such as the temperature and the, the climate and the terrain. Crafts were often done outside, and in some environments, and I saw this more in Sweden and Norway, they did their PT and OT in outdoor environments, which really provided an an extra incentive for people to participate in those activities. They wanted to maintain that independence and that ability to perform in an outdoor environment. Right now the state of gardens and horticulture therapy and long-term care is that places have a relatively small space and a very small capacity for people. The two slides you've seen are from Norway. They're slides of outdoor environments of one of the nursing home facilities that we visited. So you see a bunny hutch in one area with a, a small child and a swing set. So this was a multi-generational environment that they had created that families could come, the local school could bring their preschool children over to play on the swing set. In the United States, most nursing homes have a separate space for dementia residents, and all of these areas are enclosed. Most often they had concrete walkways, provided lawn furniture, had both trees and flowers and bird feeders, and we found a a much less prevalence of having protection against the sun, such as gazebos or awnings. Some had pets, some had lighting. A few reported water features, very few reported handrails. Easy accessibility to people was very low, and there was really not much available in terms of providing hydration opportunities. This obviously can lead to some problematic features. Safety was reported as a very high concern for people. It was too hot, it was too cold or windy. The accessibility was too far, the doors were too heavy or locked. There were problems with supervision. People on staff felt that anyone going outside needed to be supervised, and that only about 8% were able to provide that supervision there were design problems such as a lack of walkways, a lack of um, lightweight furniture that they could sit on, little shade from the sun, and their residents, frankly, were not accustomed to going out. Problems with repair of features such as fences or sidewalks was an issue and lack of having someone there to tend for the plants and not utilizing residents to help care for the plants for fear that they would pull the flowers and not the weeds. Some of the safety features that are important and that were found is accompaniment for the residents, a secured fence with locks on the fence, alarm systems, physical supports, the ability to visually observe the resident and for the resident to observe the facility from being outside. TV monitors were very, very rarely found. Speakers, buzzers, or signs was less than 10%, hardly ever, and some had didn't report safety features but you can see in the pictures on the slides of environments that did provide shaded environments with seating that was appropriate for people with dementia and a wide variety of plant sources, trees, water features so that people had a lot of that sense of um, being away. Usage rates and reasons for not using. The average user rate per day was about 13. About 7% were cognitively impaired. Most facilities reported that it was very dependent on the season with 77 reporting uh, use daily during the summer, with renter rates decreasing dramatically. This was not restrictive to a certain geographic uh, area in the United States, so in warmer climates at may have changed the uh, statistics. Spring and fall was about 50% used it daily and 90% used it several times a week. Most places had space for visitors and families. Less than half provided space that the staff and volunteers could use. And an overwhelming response of 62% said that the outdoor environment wasn't used as often as it could be. And you can see that that implies that people would like to and recognize that nature environments have a value. Another reason for positive correlations of the psychological effects of nature-based interventions are that it can provide familiar cueing in the natural environment that leads to reminiscence. This en- enables people to have new avenues of communication and really engenders those feelings of enhanced competence and well-being for people. Another area where evidence has been shown of positive benefits for people with dementia are in environments that include multi-sensory stimulation. This has been done mainly through environments using the New Zealand concept, which is a room using non-natural forms of stimulation. So from this research we've seen that enriching environments with multi-level activities that stimulate multiple senses, we find an improved quality of life, observed well-being, and positive staff interaction. Multisensory stimulation has also been shown to be positively associated with improved cognition and therefore a useful addition in dementia care. And this study was a controlled study that was statistically significant over time from 8 to 12 weeks. We also see in a study by Lee and Kim improved efficiency of sleep, decreased agitation, and increase cognition through the use of indoor gardening in a randomized control trial. So when we look at horticulture therapy and the use of outdoor spaces in long-term care facilities, some of the barriers that we've identified through research are that there is no trained horticulture therapist on staff that activity directors rarely have training in horticulture therapy and really aren't comfortable with doing it. They don't understand exactly what can be done and, and how to include it. There's a fear by staff for residents that there will be more falls, that they'll wander off, that they can't see the resident, or that the resident would get lost. Staff have also not been educated about the importance of nature and activities involving gardening and the outdoors so they don't see the importance of it and therefore they don't feel like it's part of their job responsibility and they aren't helpful in promoting those types of activities. There's also a lack of administrative support and this comes in the form of budget and often it's due to a lack of knowledge. Other barriers include staff is often so concerned with activities of daily living and getting those tasks completed during the day, and not seeing the importance of the nature-based activity as an important part of people's daily life. There's also an accessibility or an inappropriateness of some outdoor spaces. Sometimes they have no wayfinding clues. Uh, the sidewalks go in random d- directions without arrows or directional signs that lead people back to the doorways. The, the trails often lead people too far. Sometimes the doors are too heavy or locked and can't be opened. Often nursing homes cite cost as a barrier. They cite that there is no one to maintain the features, and that the the features are um, actually inappropriate or inadequate to, to provide the types of environment that would be ad, uh, appropriate for people with dementia to use. In other words, they don't provide protection from environmental concerns such as sun and rain or cold, and they don't provide seating in the appropriate places. So, in, making recommendations to provide a a nature-based programming. One of the things that needs to be done is to engage nursing staff as well as administrators in talks about gardens, about the importance of gardens and the importance of interaction with nature for all people. Some psychologists claim that nature is a need. It's a basic human need along with air and water. Um, And we know from some of the theories about disruptive behaviors that unmet needs are often the cause or often the trigger for an episode of agitation or aggression. Other recommendations include providing education for the entire staff about nature-based therapy. We need to provide materials for ongoing education and updates for staff as turnover tends to be high in nursing homes. We need to encourage administrators to include staff in consideration of uses and needs of the garden. When we included staff, um, we saw that staff benefited from using the outdoors as well. Sometimes they needed a little respite from a situation or to take a break and have their attention and their ability to deal with client behaviors or the milieu of the nursing home. They needed a break from that, so providing an area that they could sit was important as well. And then accessibility is truly important. We need to make sure that doors are unlocked, that they're not too heavy for people to get out, that people can navigate situations effectively, that There are people around to help, so we need to make sure that we allow for people to assist in accessing garden spaces, that there are those safety features like railings and seating areas, places to get a drink of water, respite from the sun and rain, um, people to accompany people in outdoor excursions. Again, to summarize, the key elements of the naturally restorative environment are that we stimulate as many senses as possible. We need to attend to safety features, but we need to include sufficient challenge to create mild, that beneficial stress, that ability to engage our mind. We need to provide access, physical and assisted if needed. We need to take opportunities to tailor interventions to the preferences and abilities of people with dementia. We need to provide environments that promote social engagement in the outdoors, and we need to provide a potential for creativity through nature-based activities. I'd like to conclude with a poem. Again, one of those cultural features that demonstrates our essential connection with nature, by showing you a poem from Wendell Berry called The Peace of the Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests, in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief, I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars awaiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Thank you very much.